you ever had one of those days where you heard something that absolutely changed your life? Well, I think that this might just be one of those days. Hi guys, this is Kevin. Welcome back. I want to talk to you today about a word named serendipity. Have you ever heard that word? It's not a word we use very often. A college professor of mine once taught me that the word serendipity means... It's, it, it's that idea of when you're struggling and wrestling and fighting through something and all of a sudden, unexpectedly, a realization grabs hold of your heart and mind and you say, oh, now I get it. I had an episode like that when I was younger and my struggle back in the early days was with the question about where Christianity was taking me. You see, I, I was I was born and raised in a family that was, um, you know, devout followers of the Lord. I went to church all the time, and um, I I was a Christian from an early age, or at least I had said a prayer, you know, memorized verses, did all the right things. But in my high school years, I had a crisis of my faith, where I just wrestled and struggled with the question of is this all there is I had been obeying all the rules going to church multiple times a week doing doing my Christian things reading the Bible well once in a while praying pretty much every day you know doing the right things going to church but there was something deeply missing and I struggled and I asked my friends is this all there is there is a man in the Old Testament who had a similar crisis of his faith that changed his life. And I remember when I first learned about this man and first read his story, it revolutionized my life as well. So I thought I would take a few minutes just to share this story. You'll find it in Isaiah chapter 6, a very familiar story, one I'm sure you've heard um, in church many times. But it is one that we, I think we need to come back to. And guys, if you're struggling, wrestling, wondering, is this all there is? Is this what Christianity is all about? I'm doing all the things, but what is it all about? I invite you to take a look at this man named Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Let me just read this passage real quick, and then I'd like to just kind of unpack it for you for a few minutes. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Let me just start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this is an amazing, powerful passage of Scripture. A glimpse into the unsearchable spiritual realm of heaven itself. And I ask that you would give me the equipment, the spiritual equipment, to unpack some of these verses for my listening friends. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage starts 
with an interesting introduction. In the year that King Uzziah died, you need to know that King Uzziah was a very uh, beloved king in Judah and Israel. He uh, was a strong and powerful king that reigned for I think about 40 years, and there was peace in the country because of his great wisdom and skill as in leadership as a king. And uh, this, uh, there's some evidence that uh, that Isaiah probably knew him personally, and maybe um, was even even able to go into the uh, throne room from time to time and speak with him. And I, I imagine that he had just as great, um, uh, you know, favorable opinion of this king as all everybody else in the country. He never speaks anything negative about him. But King Uzziah died. And it's, it's uh, perhaps uh, a question that Isaiah uh, wrestled with. What is going to happen to our country now that this great king has gone away? He's the only king that Isaiah had ever known. <clears throat> But there's something else about his death that was pretty significant. And that is, several years before he died, he committed uh, a sin that had uh, permanent ramifications and consequences for his life. You'll probably recall the story that Uzziah went into on some some whim, some unexplainable whim, he decided that he was strong and powerful enough to go into the temple, the holy temple of Jerusalem, where only priests, only Levites are allowed. And he went in there and the priests followed him in. They said, this is not right. You must get out of here. And he resisted them. Uh, and then they gasped as they saw what happened to his forehead because leprosy broke out on his forehead, spread to his whole body, and he was devastated. And they ushered him out of the temple quickly. And he lived an isolated life, quarantined for the rest of his life because of this leprosy. And so his the end of his reign was a very sad one. Now, I can only imagine that Isaiah uh, was troubled by all of this. And the, the, his death reminded him of all of these things. And, and, and Isaiah wondered, what kind of God is this that would, would um, basically destroy a man's life for one mistake? And Isaiah was concerned about that. And it was while he was pondering this this thing that he, this relationship with God that he had been grown up to, he had been taught about, something happened that changed his life. The word serendipity is, the, is a word that describes an unexpected revelation. And that's what Isaiah received. In the year that King Uzziah died, he had a vision. He said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, Bible scholars wonder, uh, was he actually at the Jerusalem temple? Is that the temple that he's talking about? Uh, there's indications that that is not. He may have been at the temple, but he was having a vision of something far more grand and far more spiritual than just the physical temple that was, was in Jerusalem. He saw God in heaven, seated on his throne, his heavenly throne, high and exalted. And you'll, I, want you, I want you to notice a couple of things about this description. I want you to notice, first of all, that Isaiah 
doesn't describe God at all. He doesn't talk about his appearance. He only describes his, he mentions the train of his robe, the, 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 the hem of his robe that filled the temple, which is a puzzling picture. I can't even really understand it. And he mentions the, the, uh, the angels that are the attendants flying around. And uh, he mentions their feet and, and faces and so forth and their wings. But he doesn't describe God himself. The first thing that you need to understand about Isaiah's revelation is that it was indescribable. He saw something that he could not describe. He saw something that was absolutely overwhelming. Gentlemen, I can tell you with all the confidence in my heart that the most important thing about you is what you think of when you think of God. Have you seen God high and exalted, seated on a throne? Have you had the vision, the realization that God is above and beyond all that you can imagine, so far above you that you cannot even describe it? Isaiah had this revelation that God was indescribably exalted, glorious, beautiful, awesome, inspiring, and overwhelming. Now, if that's not enough of a picture, the picture expands here. As we move into the next verse, verse 2, Isaiah describes the uh, circumstances surrounding this enthroned God. And he talks about what are called the seraphim. Seraphim are not mentioned very often in Scripture. They're, they appear to be uh, the highest uh, ranking angels in the hierarchy of angelic beings. And they are extraordinarily powerful and extraordinarily glorious. And they are mentioned here, and then uh, we'll see them uh, uh, come back into the picture in, in the end of the Bible, in, in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> but these seraphim had a job, and their job was to worship the king. Their job was to to fly. They were flying, it says. They were flying with six wings around the throne above God. And they had six wings which were covering their face, covering their feet, and flying. And I'm not going to try to unpack what that means. I don't really understand all the symbolism there, other than to say this. These beings were so mighty, so extraordinary, that when they sang their song, the doorposts and threshold of heaven itself quivered. Now, I want you to imagine heaven, the powerful throne room of God Almighty, and these angels are so extraordinary that when they spoke, when they sang their song, they shook heaven itself. And Isaiah, again, must have been absolutely overwhelmed. And what were they saying? What were these glorious beings talking about? What do they worship? They look at God and they sing this incredible song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Wow, we could just sit on this verse for hours, but I'm not going to. But I want to just point out a, just a few things. Number one, what is this word holy? When you, 
When we talk about a holy God, what are we talking about? What does that mean? You know, I, I, I usually think of holy as being a righteous, sinless, right? It means uh, morally upright, right? Uh, when we're holy, we're, we're, we're godly. We're living in, in, uh, you know, without sin. Uh, but, but there's something more to it than that because the angels themselves are holy. They're called holy angels. And so what are they saying? Are they saying, wow, God is sinless, sinless, sinless? Well, they were themselves were sinless. There's something more than just the moral purity of God that you're talking about. You need to understand that the word holy comes from the word set apart, cut, cut apart, cut above. It is, um, I think the best illustration of the word, well, in, in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, um, we, we read about uh, the holy uh, instruments that were used in the temple. And God said, these these instruments are going to be set apart from all the other artif- articles um, that you use on a day-to-day basis. These are the holy ones. He also talked about the people of Israel themselves as being holy, set apart, apart from the other nations. They are to be a unique people, holy unto God. And the idea is that there is something different, fundamentally, categorically different about that which is holy. It is set apart. We have some uh, plates in our uh um, in our collection, out in our one of our um, special armoires, that are special plates that we do not use very often. They are the 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 fine china that um, that we don't use on a day to day basis. We save it, we reserve it for special occasions. It is set apart as something different, something intrinsically more valuable than our common utensils, and that is, the, I think, the picture here. Holiness is that which is extraordinarily different. And so when these angels are flying around the throne of God, and they've been doing this since the moment they were created, they cannot get over the fact that God is so fundamentally different than who they are. And they're so excited about it that they can't stop calling out. It says calling out to each other. They can't stop talking to each other and say, look at him. Can you believe what you see? Can you believe this? He's so holy. And and the uh, angels reply back, I know. Look at that. It's just beyond us. He's so far beyond us. So unimaginably glorious and holy. Guys, we've got to see that God is so overwhelming. If you have not meditated on the character of God to the point that you have been overwhelmed and fallen to your knees in worship, then you have not yet seen Him. My prayer for you is that you would have the serendipity that Isaiah had, that you would realize that God Almighty is not like men. He is not like us. The angels themselves are so glorious that when people in the Bible saw the angels, they fell down and worshipped them. And, and the angels had to say, no, don't worship us. We're, we're, not, we're just creatures like you. Worship God alone. But the angels are so glorious that, they, that, that we would be tempted to worship them if we saw them right now. But as glorious as they are, they look at God Almighty and say, the King is holy, holy, holy. They don't... Uh, the, the word, this, um, this characteristic of holiness is one of the most intrinsic 
uh, uh, qualities of who God is. You'll note there's a lot of things that are true about God that they could have mentioned. They could have talked, they could have said, God is loving, loving, loving. He is powerful. He is strong, strong, strong. He's beautiful. All of these other descriptions of God would have been true, but that is not what got their attention. What they are overwhelmed with is the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. These angels saw something that we don't see. They said that the whole earth is filled with His glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. When Isaiah saw who God was, it overwhelmed him. And his only response was fear and dread. Now that's interesting. We sometimes think, oh, if only I could see God, I would just run up to him and jump on his lap. Well, that's not how Isaiah responded. Isaiah is devastated by this vision. Look at verse 5. He says, woe to me. <laughs> woe is not a word we use in our language very often anymore. It's a very prophetic word. Uh, Isaiah uses it very often to describe, uh, to, to describe the uh, fate of sinners. He says, woe to you, sinners. Jesus used the same word often. Woe to you. You, have, you are filled with sin. And uh, it is a, it's a proclamation that people are, are doomed. They're doomed. And that's exactly how Isaiah felt. I am doomed. I am ruined. Why? For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah realized that the sins of his youth, the sins of his life that some people would just dismiss as saying, oh, it's just, you know, a bad word here or there. It's just a, a flippant phrase, a, 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 um, a simple slip up. You've got to understand when you're in the presence of God, someday when we die and stand before the presence of God, we are going to be gripped by if there is not, um, if there, if we stand before God, holding on to nothing but the, our own righteousness that we have tried to achieve in our life, I want to tell you that that is going to be so far short. The holiness of God exposes everything, and for for Isaiah. The smallest sin in his life was devastating. I kind of like to picture it as a, if, if you were um, getting married and you had uh, rented a beautiful, awesome tuxedo, right? Just this really stunning, you know, cut jacket and shirt and tie, bow tie and, and slacks. And it was just white and beautiful and perfect. And then right before you um, walk down the aisle to, to get married... Uh, somebody flings a squirt of ketchup and it lands right there on your shirt, right? You know, you could imagine how that little tiny speck would overwhelm the glory of this tuxedo. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Gentlemen, the serendipity that will change your life is that 
God is so glorious and so holy that if I was in his presence today, the smallest sin would stick to my shirt like ketchup on a tuxedo. It would, it would devastate me. It would, Isaiah, when he saw it, he felt like, even though he was probably an upright, you know, godly Jew, when he was in the presence of God, every little sin that he'd ever committed just, uh, you know, was loudly broadcast to him. He saw everything he'd ever done and he was devastated and he said, I'm ruined, I'm ruined. And he certainly would have been ruined except God did something for him. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Guys, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Don't put up with small visions of God. Don't be content with small pictures of Christianity. The reality of what God has done for us in Jesus by sending His Son to um, to eradicate the sin, the the, the the poison, the contamination that has touched us is so extraordinary. And I want you to understand that God Almighty is bigger than you thought He was. Christianity is more, is, is just bigger than you thought it was. And when you get that picture, when you have the serendipitous realization that God is mighty. He is seated high and exalted on his throne. It will change your life. Father, I want to see you. I want to see who you are. I know it may be devastating, but I do not want to continue my life without a daily understanding, a daily vision of the great majesty of your throne. I want to worship you like the seraphim did. I want to be so amazed about who I see that I will tell everybody I know, look at him, look at him. You'll never, you can't believe what you see. Lord God, I pray for my friends who are listening right now. I pray, God, that you would overwhelm them with a greater picture of the triune God. We love you. We worship you and we praise you. Pray this in the name of our Savior.